0: The Bible Study Podcast, episode 309. Today, the Bible Study Podcast wraps up this encore presentation of 1 Timothy. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Program note for you. As I said, we're going to finish up 1 Timothy today, and we will not be starting 2 Timothy next week. In fact, we won't be starting 2 Timothy at all, but we'll instead get you to go back if you're interested and listen to the episode from a previous version on the show. But the next study is in fact going to be on marriage. Wish me luck with that. We are going to start that in two weeks. There will be no episode next week because I will be traveling. With that, First Timothy chapter 6. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. And this is one of those verses that, of course, was abused by those people who were supporting slavery in the South and the U.S. because they would say, see, look, slavery is in the Bible, and Paul didn't even discourage its use. And of course, we've seen that Paul did ask for Onesibus to be set free from Philemon. And Paul also asks for a different relationship between master and slave. For the masters, he says, treat these people as you are treated by your master in heaven. And for the slaves, he's saying, obey your masters even when their eyes are not on you, he says elsewhere, as serving the Lord and not man. And here he says, even if they are fellow believers, well, don't slack off because of that. And in fact, even more so if they are fellow believers, should you consider them worthy of respect? What Paul is saying here is that it is more important to him how Christianity is seen. It is more important to him that the word of Jesus gets out than any one person's individual circumstance. And we have to understand that we as a society tend to look at things from our point of view, which is very self centered, and that self centered is not what the Bible is calling us to. And slavery did die out, and it died out as Christianity spread. And so what was more important to Paul was the spread of Christianity, that was the spread of the good news, and he didn't want it slandered because of the behavior of the slaves. And remember that Christianity was thought by some to be a slave's religion. Because of its humility and because of its lack of self-centeredness, it sometimes spread more among those who were humble than among those who were proud. Going on to the next section here, false teachers, those are the things you were to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malice, talk, and evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul here is talking about two different things, and he is saying they are related. False teachers, And the love of money. And of course, the first connection he makes is that some people as they teach, even in Paul's day, taught as a means to financial gain. And we certainly have run into that. People who we suspected that their motives might not be for the furthering of the kingdom of God, but for the lining of their pocketbooks. But before he talks about financial gain, he talks about other things that come out of these false teachers. He says, first of all, they are conceited. So They think of themselves as more important than they are, and that can be difficult with a teacher, is if people are listening to you, you may start to think it's because you are important, not because the truth that you are bringing that is not your truth, but God's truth is important. I've seen pastors and church leaders who've fallen victim to that. So he says, stay away from that. And he's talking about teaching that produces quarrels and envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions and constant friction. That is not what the church is called to, obviously. And so he's saying, look at the teachers and look at the fruit. Look at what they're saying and then look at what they're producing. Now, certainly, there can be some who hear a good message and a good teacher who go off in the wrong directions. But if you see a lot more strife get created because of a teacher, pay attention to that. If a teacher is bringing a lot of suspicion, if people are talking bad about each other and that is encouraged by the teacher or promoted suspicions, friction, envy, all of those things, he says that's the fruit of that teacher. And he labels those teachers as false teachers who've been robbed of the truth. Now, what is the truth that he's talking about here? Well, the basic truths of the Bible, remember, are not complicated. The sum of all the law and the prophets is love the Lord your God with your whole heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Fruit that true teachers produce should be consistent with that. It should encourage us to love God and love our neighbor. And then he goes into this thing about financial gain, not teaching as a way of getting financial gain. But in general, he says, I know people, basically, who have pierced themselves with many griefs, who have caused themselves harm because they have focused just on the gaining of financial wealth. And he points out, we came into this world with nothing and we will leave it with nothing. There are no U-Hauls on hearses is the saying that you may have heard. And so he's saying, be content." with what you have, if you have food and clothing, if you have the basic needs, don't worry so much about whether you have the better car. Don't worry so much if you have the the top-of-the-line stereo. Don't worry so much if you have the McMansion. Don't worry so much if you have the corner office. Don't worry so much if you have oh-so-many-things. That can distract us from the things that God desires from our lives, that can distract us from family, that can distract us from friends, that can distract us from things of real value. And Paul says, I have known people basically who, eager for money, have strayed from truth, F- who, eager for money, have strayed from faith. It is easy for us, especially those of us who've grown up in situations of want, to look for our safety and our security through what we earn, instead of our safety and our security through who we know in Jesus, through who we know in God. It is easy for us to put our faith in our 401k, to put our faith in our savings account, and not to put our faith in God. But again, I don't think 401ks are bad. I don't think savings accounts are bad, or cars or houses or stereos even. But contentment is a more valuable lesson. What a gift it is to get up in the morning and say how blessed I am by what God has done for me, how blessed I am with all that God has given me, with the family, with the friends, with the job. How blessed is the person who can see the things that they have as a blessing and not constantly be unsatisfied in wanting more. And then final charges to Timothy. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot. Or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in His own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To Him be honor and might forever. Amen. When Paul gets poetic like this, those are some of my favorite verses in the letters that he writes. And this obviously is an encouragement for Timothy, young man, pastor, to fight the good fight of faith. We had that list above of what the false teachers bring, but he's saying, you, man of God, these are the fruit I expect from you, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That's what you should be bringing to the game. That's what you should be bringing to your congregation. That's what you should be bringing to your flock. And then he has this wonderful section here about the confession of Jesus and God the blessed, the only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. How can we think about God without bursting into praise? Paul cannot. Who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. We live to bring glory to God. And Paul reminds Timothy that that is his witness. And that is his calling, as he would remind us. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. And so Paul says again what we said is don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And one of the advantages for us of these last few years, which were uncertain times, is that they do remind us that wealth is uncertain, even for the rich, even for the rich and especially for the poor, that wealth is uncertain. But God is certain. He describes here a generous God. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It saddens me sometimes that people, when they think of God, don't realize that God is a God of joy, that joy is one of those fruits of the Spirit. I understand what the Puritans were trying to do when they were trying to purify the church, but I don't know how they so missed all of the joy that we can find in Scripture. And I think of David dancing before the Lord. God who desires for us what is good. So do good, be rich in good deeds and willing to share. With that, I think we'll end this study of First Timothy. And again, in two weeks, we will start a study on marriage. If you have suggestions or things that you would like to hear in that study, send me an email to host at com. If you have comments on this episode, you can leave them at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. And as always, thanks so much for listening.